morning. Our scripture reading today is from Matthew 6. Let us stand for the reading of God's word. Matthew 6, 25-34. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Ah, good morning. morning. (laughs) Still morning, sort of. We're getting past it a little bit, but I know what all you regular attenders must be thinking. That's the wrong way bright. They don't usually give that one a mic. (laughs) Sometimes for good reason. Uh, I'm, I'm so glad to be here. Myself and Kelsey are down from Oregon to visit after, after being abroad, well, abroad in Chicago. Feels a little distant <laughs> for some years. But we're just really grateful to spend today with you. It's an honor to be here on Arts Weekend as well. I just want to give you a little bit of my, my art credentials so that you can understand where we're coming from here. Let's see, I studied studio art at Westmont College. I got an MFA in design just down the road from Autis College of Art and Design. I'm currently the co-chair of art and design at George Fox University, just outside of Portland. I've worked in museums, curation, exhibition, branding, multi-sensory experiences, marketing. I've exhibited art books at the Los Angeles MoCA and Palm Springs Art Museum. There are things related to the arts that I am qualified to talk about. I just really want you to understand that. When I tell you today, I'm here to talk about bread. They only bring me in for the controversial subject matter, you know. <laughs> and, and in today's sermon, I just have to forewarn you, there isn't a gluten-free option. <laughs> oh, they liked that one more than the other two groups. This is good. Okay. <laughs> yes. Um, no, but really, opening up the Bible can be pretty dangerous business, especially these days. Like it's, it's particularly challenging for us to be pushed, prodded, or challenged on our positions, or our politics, especially now. 
but we need it. And I just want you to think about that. Uh, every time you open the Bible, God wants to challenge you. So I ask that for a little grace from you, from God, that may we all be willing to be challenged by Christ's words today, together. This particular passage, it has the character of some of my favorite passages in the Bible. It's really strange. So, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Bread. <laughs> the Father, heaven, kingdom, bread. One of these things is not quite like the other. <laughs> After this lofty praise, we lower our eyes down to earth and we start praying about what seems to be a very basic human need. And we just take it for what it is. It's so practical. I mean, historically, it's been difficult for us to think about this passage as including something so humble and practical as bread. We often read it as a call for spiritual nourishment or time spent in the Bible. Maybe as you were growing up, you actually had something like daily breads that were sitting around the house. These little loaves, they have little verses you can pull out, a verse that you could chew on throughout the day. I don't want to discount that idea. Feasting on the word of God is a wonderful thing and we absolutely should do it. God is providing spiritual food for us through the Bible. But it's a little too easy. I mean, if daily bread is just about spending time in the Bible, I don't have to trust God to provide because he already has. When God gets practical, when the requests become measurable, when God is the one I'm meant to rely on for my daily physical nourishment, when I'm forced to reckon with the idea that this meal that I'm about to have is not mine at all, but is a gift from God, I mean, it's really convenient to think that I earned this meal all by myself. It's hard to trust God to provide what I physically need. It seems I have something to learn there. Maybe we all do. Alternatively, we might see this prayer, as we often do, as an opportunity to ask God for things. Uh, we come to God saying, okay, you're gonna provide my needs. I've got some serious needs right here, right? Deliver, please. <laughs> but if you think about it, daily bread is not a luxury item. It's, a, it's about survival. Like, daily bread is the kind of thing that you offer to the army. It's offered to prisoners. It's a provision, it's a, it's a ration. Daily bread is not about luxury, it's about sustenance. So maybe this isn't an opportunity for us to ask God for everything we want and also a pony. When we pray, give us this day our daily bread, we're not looking for gifts. We're looking to be sustained. And I think when we look at it best, the prayer is a reminder that we need to rely on God for daily sustenance. Now, the more time I've spent with this passage, the more convinced I am that this passage is far more than just a metaphor, that the sustenance God has to offer us is physical as well as spiritual. It's how God takes care of his creation. God's kingdom is not just a place where we are spiritually cared for, it's a place where his children's needs are completely cared for, that they are given what they need to survive. 
Let me just tell you a story related to this. I am a faculty member and an advisor, and especially around this time of the year where we have midterms, and students start to parade into my office and sit down. <laughs> they're, they're feeling distraught. What am I doing? Why am I here? What is the meaning of life? They, they ask things, and the favorite phrase is always like, I'm just feeling so spiritually dead right now. I think we could go into the theology of that, but maybe that's not what you're looking for right now. Um, but I used to spin into a craze when they would do this. I'd say, oh, oh my goodness, well, well, have you been praying? Do you have a spiritual mentor? When's the last time you've been in church? Do you have a supportive group around you? After a few years, I realized there might be another question that I need to ask them first. When was the last time you slept? What's the last meal you actually had? If the last time you slept was 36 hours ago, if the last meal you had was a cup of ramen and it's the same thing you've had for the last month, we may have found the root of your spiritual crisis. <laughs> I mean, God made us as physical creatures. Body and spirit are not separate things. They're intertwined and therefore food matters. We cannot be provided for spiritually if we're not provided for physically. We cannot care for our spirits if we fail to sustain our body. Anyone who's been hungry knows that. I mean, you can't think straight when you're hungry. There's a whole reason that the word hangry was invented. <laughs> we need to be provided for as the holistic beings that we are. We need physical daily bread in order to be nourished by spiritual daily bread. So as we look to see God's will done on earth, we're looking to God as the one who sustains and guides all of creation. It's completely fitting for us to ask physically, spiritually, give us today our daily bread that we may be sustained in the mission of God. On that note, I believe bread has a great deal to teach us about the gospel and how we should live it. There's four particular qualities of bread that I want to talk about today. Um, I have them illustrated for you just really briefly. Bread is physical, it is shared, it is grown, and it is for today. Bread is physical, it's shared, it's grown, and it's for today. We're gonna to start with it's physical. Even if we read bread as a metaphor, we can't understand that metaphor without understanding bread's physical existence. Let me show you what I mean. Bread. Bread is a staple food prepared from a dough of flour and water, usually by baking. Within bread, proportions of flour and other ingredients vary widely, as do modes of preparation. As a result, types, shapes, sizes, and textures of bread differ around the world, though most bread is produced through a combination of yeast, water, flour, a rigorous kneading process, and the application of heat. Mmm. Wasn't that some good bread? No, it wasn't. <laughs> no, you can read the Wikipedia entry for bread. I just did that for you. Uh, you can memorize every single recipe of bread that's ever existed. You can watch every last hour of the Great British Bake Off. You will be no closer to understanding what bread is. To understand bread, you need that ratatouille moment. You need to smell it. You need to get your hands on it. You need to crunch it and taste it on your tongue. You cannot understand bread without experiencing it. As with bread, so it is also with the gospel. 
The gospel's not meant to be read alone. It's not just a philosophy. It's not simply theology or right thinking. It's a way of living. We need to engage it physically to understand it. And much like a recipe for bread, the gospel is relatively easy to read. It's a whole other thing to roll up your sleeves, knead some dough, and get to the business of seeing it become reality. I don't think it's an accident that you see Christ so often offering food as he speaks the gospel. That so much of his change in people's lives revolves around the table, around feeding and being fed, around drinking and being offered drink. I mean, have you ever noticed how physically nourishing Christ's ministry is? How often he used food in his missions? I mean, his first miracle was the creation of wine. He feeds the 5,000. Wherever Christ goes, it's just perfumes and fishes and sand and mud and food everywhere. He speaks a physical language. The way he gives us a foretaste of heaven, it's milk and honey. It's manna. The very kingdom of God in Isaiah is presented to us not just as an idea, but as a feast where we all come together around a banquet table with some very well-aged grape juice. Yes. If we long to understand the gospel, if we long to understand the way Christ's ministry unfolded, if we want to even process all these metaphors that Christ appeals to, we need to engage them with our physical selves, ministering by offering physical and spiritual sustenance together. It seems particularly appropriate to make this point on Arts Weekend. Um, I have a friend who works at George Fox with me. His name's Mark Terry. He's a ceramic artist. And we often talk about, he tells me, everyone who wants to study the Bible needs to get into beginning pottery. They need to. He said, because these people, they study the Bible and they look at this thing, they love this metaphor of God shaped us from the clay. They have no clue what they mean until you actually sit down at a wheel. You get that clay in your hands. You have no clue how unruly clay is, how incredibly difficult it is to make anything out of it, how confident a hand you have to have, how perfectly centered it needs to be and focused it has to be to create it. It is prone to collapse. I know. I've tried it. I'm terrible. <laughs> how confident God is and how carefully he crafts us. You don't understand it until you physically engage that metaphor. So logic, reason, sermonizing, these are all really good things. I, I like the job my dad has. I think it's worthwhile. Um, <laughs> but we just can't fully understand the gospel if we only engage it verbally. We need to experience God and the gospel through our many senses. We need to hear it. We need to taste it. We need to see it. We need to smell it on the streets. God's call to us is not to simply think that the Lord is good. It's to taste and see that the Lord is good. On that note, I do want to say thank you, church, for making art welcome here, for welcoming new songs, for opening up your lobbies to have work in, present in the space. It's so meaningful for those of us, especially those who communicate through our other senses primarily. Bread is physical, but it's also shared. There are two words that are really easy to miss in this prayer. Maybe you heard them. Give us today our daily bread. It's not give me today my daily bread. It's not give him today his daily bread. Give us today our daily bread. This request is a shared request. 
The stuff that sustains us physically, spiritually, it's not for me, it's for us. Therefore, it's not something to be hoarded or stockpiled away. We need to remember as we take our daily bread, there are millions who have not had bread yesterday. That the bread we have is a gift from God, not our own. And perhaps in that light, we need to make some room at our table to share. Imagine, if you will, a father walks out to a table of four sons with a basket full of bread. He places it down, and three of those sons just dive on it ravenously. They're like teenagers after football practice. They're devouring. Meanwhile, one brother sits in the corner, nearly fainting from a lack of food. One particularly active brother, with crumbs falling out of his mouth, reaches for another loaf, and he says out of the corner of his mouth, if he wanted food, he should have just moved a little faster. What would a good father say about that? I mean, the picture this prayer gives us is a gathering around the family table with God as our father. How in such a setting could we ever ignore our brother's need? If the bread God provides us is meant to provide us with nourishment and sustenance rather than luxury or overindulgence, then we need to prayerfully consider that the things that sustain us are meant to be shared. That from our abundance, rather than taking a few extra rolls, no matter how good they are, we should give that all could be sustained. I'm not talking just about food here, nor even just about money. We all have different kinds of abundances in our lives. What if we saw them as an abundance to be given that all may be sustained? Let me contrast that one story with another one. It's about Vincent Van Gogh. I love Van Gogh. I'm on this long-term mission to just reclaim his life story because there's so much more to Van Gogh than this, this crazy guy who cut off his ear. Did you know Van Gogh was a missionary? He was not rich. He, was, he famously never sold a painting in his life, and he wasn't much better at being a missionary. <laughs> for his entire life, he was completely dependent on other people to provide for him. He had no money for even basic needs. And yet, when he had something, he always found a way to use it to give to others. That's something that actually got him in trouble, because he'd just keep giving things away. Let me give you an example. He had no ability to buy a bed or a chair for himself. And one time his brother gave him money specifically for this. Go get yourself a nice chair and a nice bed. You need those things. And he didn't. He didn't go buy a nice bed and a nice chair for himself. He, he went and bought a cheap bed so they'd have a little extra money to buy a really nice one that he would never sleep in, but that would be there in case someone ever visited him for them to stay in. He didn't buy himself a nice chair. He bought a really, really cheap one so that he could afford to buy a nice one in case everyone, someone ever visited him. He wanted this place to be ready to welcome anyone that might come by. Rather than hoard this very momentary abundance, he looked to what was needed for him to be sustained, he took that, and he used the rest to create a space of welcome for others. I think we can learn from that. I mean, if we wish to act like Christ, when we have abundance, we should use that as an opportunity to make space at the table for those who do not. And maybe like Van Gogh, we don't just make a space, we pull out the good chair. Isn't that what Christ was saying 
when he told us to get, the man who has two tunics should give to the man who had one. If we're in his church family and we see a brother who is hungry, rather than take a second helping, we need to make a space at the table because daily bread is about sustenance and sustenance is not about gluttony. It's about providing for God's family and providing well for them. But this doesn't necessarily mean the right way to live is to just offer a handout. See, I think the way we share the gospel should be the way Christ shared it. We have an image of that. Leonardo da Vinci's Last Supper, you've seen that. So we want to share it like, gospel, like Christ shared it. So obviously, all on one side of the table and dramatically posed is what I mean. Yeah. All right. <laughs> when Christ tells his disciples to do something in remembrance of him, it's not while he's on the cross. It's not when he's knocking down the Pharisees a few notches. There are so many cool things that Christ could have said, do this in remembrance of me. And what he chose was them having a meal together. It's not about throwing scraps someone's way. It's about welcoming people to our table. And anyone who has been to high school or watched Mean Girls knows that's a big deal. I mean, the people you sit at say a great deal about you, and the most devastating thing you can hear is you can't sit with us. Who you sit at begins to define you. Who you sit with starts to tell about your character. So clearly, if we wish to be identified with Christ, we should share our table with the kind of people Christ did. Who are those people? It's pretty clear. If you want to share at a table like Christ, You need to share your table with all the wrong people. Your friends, your family, they might be there. But more often than that, you share with that known sinner, that adulterer, that corrupt city official, that tax collector, those fishermen and their stinky fish, that person that is literally plotting you harm. At the heart of Christ's work, central to his mission, recorded throughout history, his way of seeing the kingdom on earth was a shared meal with people who were willing to come to the table. They didn't have other conditions. They didn't need to have their act together. They were welcome because he made them welcome. So are the people you share a table with the people Jesus shared a table with? I mean, we can and absolutely should pray for the hungry, But more than that, and I think a little more Christ-like, we need to pray with the hungry, placing ourselves physically alongside our family in need, to be identified together as belonging to one another and to share in what's been offered to us. Bread is physical, and it's meant to be shared. But bread is also grown. Now, I'm not saying there are bread trees anywhere, though it would be really cool if there were. I'm saying that bread is a product of what I call the ecosystem of God's creation. For us to be sustained, we need to sustain his creation. In order to receive daily bread, we need to live in a world capable of producing the seeds to grow the plants. And we need to support the hands that actually harvest those. The creation of bread requires so many hands and so many ingredients. Let me just tell you a story about a place called the Newburgh Bakery. That's my hometown. I have a lot of hometown pride, so I have no qualms about telling you this bakery is like the best place on earth, <laughs> okay? They know bread. 
One time I bought a scone from them, I put it in my backpack and I forgot about it. Three days later, I finally ate it, and I did eat it. It was still the best scone I've ever had. <laughs> they know bread. So one time I was in there talking to the owner, and, and I told her, okay, what on earth is this like, special sauce that you have going on? There must be something going on in this bread that I don't know about, and I want to know. After politely laughing in my face, um, they told me that the farms we get our ingredients from, they're run by our friends. They're all around us. Our ingredients come in every morning from less than 15 miles away. We live here. We know the weather. We know the Marion berries and when they're going to be ripe and when the time has come that we probably need to move on to including something else in the mix. We have our own recipes, but we're not using anything particularly unusual. We just start with the best ingredients we can get, and then we do our best to not get in the way of those ingredients. I mean, bread is a part of an ecosystem of God's creation. As bread is made, it's not just a baker that we need. There's a farmer who maintains the land to grow the plants. There are harvesters. The making of bread requires an environment where you can cultivate the ingredients, a variety of people to provide the ingredients, and even more people who can convert those ingredients into bread. As with bread, so it is with the gospel. Living the gospel well requires many hands, many different ingredients. The ingredients you supply, they're not likely the same ingredients that I supply. See, I wonder what life would look like if we saw ourselves as part of the ecosystem of God's creation. And in that system, we committed to making daily bread together. By that, I mean, if we each took our unique giftings and considered them an abundance given to us by God, we pulled them together to share, to craft together in order that we might offer daily bread and sustain one another. Our ingredients aren't the same, but in their proper season, they are incredibly significant. I mean, in tax season, I'm probably looking at someone with the ingredient with accounting abilities. <laughs> When I missed a few payments on my, my rent for my apartment, maybe I'm looking for someone who has the ingredient of an available couch. When I want my senses to be reawoken to the possibilities God has for us in his world, maybe I need an artist. When my fence falls down, maybe the ingredient I need is someone who knows how to handle a shovel and a post. Together, we can bring our ingredients and offer some truly life-altering bread to one another. And this shouldn't be a picture for a distant future. See, there's another word in this prayer that we often overlook. Because this bread, it's not something far off in the future, it's for today. I mean, it's give us today our daily bread. There's a desire to kind of read this request as like a far-off thing about a future heaven but that's not what we see in the words here. This is not something that's meant to wait, nor is it something to be put off for the future. It's not distant, it's not far, it is for now. So our challenge is to live today in light of this prayer. When we pray, give us this day our daily bread, and I do mean daily, we're asking God to physically and spiritually provide for our community today. That happens through God's providence 
and through what he has offered to us. When we pray this, we're asking for the wisdom and the hospitality to share our bread, to not hoard it or greedily stock up, but to see the bread we have as from God given to his family. We're asking for help in welcoming those in need to come and share bread at the table with us, to be identified as part of our family and for us to be identified with them. We're asking for an environment that's capable of producing life-sustaining bread. And we're asking for the God of the universe to intervene today. It turns out this unassuming, humble phrase may have a great deal of meaning. It may just help us live the gospel, a gospel which is physical, which is meant to be shared, which is grown and cultivated, and that is for today.